Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for product managers, leaders, and innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in. Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence. So you'll create products that customers love. That's what we love to do is great products customers love. Now, have you been part of a design thinking or design sprint activity? I've used both approaches with more experience myself with design thinking to explore customer problems, consider solutions, create early prototypes of those solutions, and really lead to something that can be amazing. They're great activities, but they're not necessarily amazing in themselves because what happens after you create those prototypes? These are really intensive experiences, typically in the range of two to five days. And after they're over... Sometimes not a lot happens. Creating a project to turn a prototype into a new product takes a lot more work. Our guest knows how to help with this. He's Douglas Ferguson. He's a human-centered technologist with 20-plus years of experience. He's also the president of Voltage Control. They're an Austin-based workshop agency that specializes in design sprints and innovation workshops, and he formerly worked with Google Ventures. He'll tell us what to do after the sprint ends. And as always, we take notes for you, a detailed summary of all the important tips that Douglas is going to share. You'll find those at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 269. In those notes, you're going to find a bonus question. It's a question that we asked that we didn't record for this podcast, but that you will find in that written summary at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 269. And the question that we asked Douglas is, what are your tips for planning and making a design sprint as valuable as it can be? I hope you go check out that summary. Now, let's talk with Douglas. Douglas, thank you for joining the Everyday Innovators. Hey, it's great to be here. We get to talk about an important topic, which is, um, in general, kind of what happens after an innovation effort. Specifically, design sprints is kind of the context, but I've been involved in a lot of design thinking boot camps for companies. And any of these innovation efforts, kind of the same thing happens, right? You, you get really excited in design thinking. We build prototypes at the end and usually with real customers involved. So we have tangible things that we can run with. And then there's this kind of lull that takes place. It's like, well, what, what do you do after that now? And you have some really good experience and insights with that, especially doing design sprints. So let's talk about that, where design sprints come from. Um, but first, I got to ask you, you got a keyboard behind you that uh, actually is kind of classic. Were you part of the band or anything? Yeah, I um, uh, grew up in a somewhat musical family. My, my mother played piano and uh, uh, was very inspired by her at a young age to, to play music. And um, in fact, it's the impetus for the name of my company, Voltage Control. Hmm. Um, the I have a, a modular synthesizer, and all the modules get connected together with these uh, patch cables. And um, the the electricity that flows through the cables is referred to as control voltage because that voltage will control um, the module that the voltage is going into. And so that's how the, the modules um, can um, kind of manipulate each other. Mm-hmm. And I was really inspired by this notion that um, – patching a synthesizer up is, is very similar to kind of systems thinking. It's like how all the modules relate and these ripple effects that will happen throughout the entire system. And, um, and I thought it was really similar to um, how we manage teams and how we build products and just the complexity that ensues when, when you do these things. 
And so, um, so I, I've spoken quite often about how I find that relevant and, and similar. Mm-hmm. And so uh, when, when a thought of voltage control as the company name really kind of stuck with me, especially when I pondered the, the fact that um, a synonym for voltage is um, potential. Mm-hmm. And so this notion of unleashing potential in teams, it's really yeah, fascinating energy. to me. Yeah. yeah. But that makes a lot more sense out of your company name. Uh, by chance, have you ever made it out to the Moog factory in uh, Asheville, North Carolina? Yeah, I have. I actually grew up in Southern Virginia and, okay. um, and so spent quite a bit of time in Asheville and have uh, um, gone down to Moog Fest. And you know, one of my good friends actually um, is an event organizer for Moog Fest. So, so yeah, awesome. yeah, I love it. It's really, really good yeah. stuff classic analog synthesizers and oh, taking, yeah. taking a tour of their place you know th- th- they're there with their soldering irons making this stuff by hand and it's just it's incredible yeah it's and you know there, there, there's um a really phenomenal um kind of cottage industry that's grown up around uh, this modular sense world where you've got folks that are building the stuff in their garages and um, it, it really ballooned over the last 10 years. There's probably two, 300 different um, folks that, you know, some of these um, guys and gals just make one or two modules and then others have a whole line of modules. In fact, there's a, it's a place out of Asheville that called Make Noise that has some really interesting stuff. Hmm. Yeah, Asheville itself is a pretty interesting place. That it is. <laughs> Lots going on. Okay, so back to design sprint. So yeah. to connect this to what happens after a design sprint, first tell us what is a design sprint. Yeah, so a design sprint is an innovation process that um, is five days long, and the goal is to build and test a prototype. And when I, when we say prototype, we mean um, a simulation of the product or service you intend to build, and we've seen the design sprint get applied to many different industries. Um, it, it was created in the software universe or world and it's been applied to things like manufacturing um even government uh city of san francisco used it to explore solutions to the homelessness problem um and it's uh we're finding it quite useful in hr and how people apply it to you know um employee experience but essentially we're taking principles of agile and lean six sigma um and uh, even, I would say, behavioral psychology and packaging it all up into like a greatest hits, like um, action-packed week. And um, you start off exploring a goal, so you're going to align and get really clear on the outcomes you're trying to drive to. And uh, you end that first day with a real distinct target. So rather than trying to solve it all, we're going to focus on one keen aspect that is kind of the linchpin of everything or at least the best starting point. And then on day two, we all sketch individually. And that's, that's a really interesting concept because generally, you know, a lot of meetings and solutioning is um, we just kind of talk in endless circles and things just spiral out of control. But this working alone together really um, taps into the wisdom of everyone, but we do it together in this time that's dedicated to the problems. And that's very powerful. Then Wednesday we can come to a real quick decision around what we're gonna uh, what we're gonna prototype, and that's also important because typically decisions take a long time in most organizations. And so if we create processes and conditions where it's okay to make a quick decision and then learn from it, then um, then we end up moving faster overall. And honestly, the fast learnings are so much more valuable than than the uh, the risk that we um, might make the wrong decision. Mm-hmm. And then on Thursday we make a prototype. And then on Friday, we test it with five users. 
some people get hung up on the five users thing, but this is really meant to be um, uh, an insights gathering. It's a qualitative test. And I find that, um, you, you know, if anybody who's hung up on um, statistical relevance or, you know, we've got to collect all the data and, and make sure that our metrics are solid, um, that usually takes a long time. And during that time where they're in that pursuit of perfection, like the perfect data, they're operating off of a hunch. So instead, can we just accelerate this, um, get some quick and dirty data now so they can inform where we go as we start to collect more real data and start to get really refined on it. Um, and so I really like coupling these small qualitative tests with the bigger quantitative tests and let them kind of each inform each other. Um, so that's the general process. Good. Yeah. You can get deep insights from just a handful of customers and, uh, that qualitative information can at times be the thing that changes your direction and insights you can't get any other way. So a big support of that for sure. Um, I, I need myself. I, I have, I think I told you earlier as we were talking, uh, enrolled in, uh, Jake Knapp's course for learning design sprints because it's something I wanted to get to know better. This was something that started at Google originally, right? Mm-hmm. And you were there at Google, right? No, um, Jake and I met, uh, we were actually pen pals because <laughs> we were I was kind of tracking his blog posts and finding stuff really fascinating. And, um, and I had my team experimenting with, with some of the ideas. Uh, but then Google Ventures invested in my company and he got to come down and, and run the process. So okay. um, the, way, the way the history kind of unfolded was um, Jake was at Google and he was part of one of his 20% projects. He um, was working on Hangouts, but this was before Hangouts was even called Hangouts. And um, the, the other members of his team uh, were in Europe and they didn't have a lot of time to meet together. And the few times they had, he, was, he just wasn't um, he was seeing the results that he wanted. And he thought this next time we should do it differently. So he set out to plan the perfect week and he was really happy with some of the results that he got. And he started to share those results um, with management and other members around Google and kind of morphed his role into this role where if someone was kicking off a project, they could have him come run this thing and, uh, and kick off and help them launch their project. Uh, Google ventures caught wind of it and said, Hey, you should come do that for portfolio companies. And so they, that's what he did. And then that's where he got tons of experience with lots of different startups. And those are the stories that made their way into the book. Okay. Yeah. Something I definitely won't want to learn more about and put into practice is I've been doing design thinking boot camps. Mm-hmm. Um, I, in a typically a day and a half to three days, we do the whole thing. And usually about a third of the people in the room are the customers of the, whoever the company that I'm working with. Um, and others have told me I'm just crazy trying to do it in that amount of time. But we always end up with really useful prototypes that you know customers have given us feedback on. Um, so I'm curious about this five-day window and what I can learn from that too. But what we both share is what happens afterwards, right? So mm-hmm. you tell us what typically happens after a design sprint. You know, it's um, I. this is an interesting question because there's this notion of like, uh, what should happen and what does happen. <laughs> and, um, you know, often people are finding themselves in what I call the design sprint slump. And, um, and that's what prompted me to write my book is just noticing that people were kind of um, f- falling into this um, kind of rut quite often. And, um, and so I thought, hey, not only can I provide some insights into uh, effective ways to avoid this or, or to dig your way out, but also kind of start to create a conversation around this and um, 
uh, and start to discover and learn even more about it and, and, and what we can continue to evolve there. Um, but uh, before we dig too much into the slump, I, I do want to say that um, just just for understanding more about the, the sprint and, and kind of what the outcomes of the week are, like what you walk out with Friday, because mm-hmm. that's a little different than, than what starts to happen if, if it's unattended to. And what you walk out with on Friday are typically one of three things. Either you have a, what we call a, um, a, a, you just knocked it out of the park. And it, that's pretty rare. Um, but in those cases, the prototype you built just, you know, there were, there's just nothing wrong with it. You know, it was just like, you, you probably should have just went and built a thing without doing a design sprint. Um, or maybe you made some discoveries through the, through the work with the team that just got you to where you needed to be. Um, and that's great. You should just go continue um, fleshing out the designs, get some mechanicals, go build it. Um, the other typical outcome is a flawed win. And this is where you're, you can tell you're directionally there, but you might, you, there's some things you need to tweak. There's some things that are just still not quite clear. Um, you need to go and, you, um, and iterate on your prototype and continue to test. We recommend continuing to iterate until you feel like you've knocked it out of the park, until it's just all aces, and um, and, and then then go build it. The the third uh, outcome that's um, you know uh, the unfortunate you know discovery that you know we were completely wrong. We should not go build this, and a lot of people call this a failure, and I don't I don't love to call it a failure because I think it's a huge win because if we're able to in five days realize that we should not continue this project that we would have probably worked on for six months or more before realizing that it was a bad idea. Um, that's a huge cost savings. And if you think about not only the labor costs, but the opportunity costs of what you can now have the team go work on um, and the potential that that might create for the company, um, that's, uh, that's, that shouldn't be understated. Yeah, absolutely. This is all about learning, right? And mm-hmm. so, so the phrase that gets thrown around a lot, largely in part because of Google, you know, fail fast. The notion here is we should be learning fast. And absolutely. If you come up with a way that isn't going to work, great. Now we can put our resources towards another try that might end up working. So, so yeah, I appreciate you talking about this, those three outcomes. In any case, we may very well end up with, you know, we got real excited. We spent this week together. We, we now have something that we want to move forward on. So maybe we'll throw off the, you know, the third case. Say we have either a prototype we need to test more or we need to just build it. Uh, but you described this afterwards as a design sprint slump, mm-hmm. right? So, so what do you mean by slump? Well, this is that kind of scenario where, you know, it's a design sprint or anything, really. I mean, you talked about experiences with design thinking sessions and whatnot. Um, have you ever just, um, been in a situation where, you know, you're kind of sitting, doing your, your regular work and, you know, the sticky notes are still on the walls, kind of mocking you. It's like, we haven't done anything with this, or maybe they're even starting to like slowly fall off the walls, like, you know, little leaves or whatever. <laughs> you're like, ah, it's like, it's really frustrating. And, um, it, there's, there's a few, few reasons why this is the case. Um, often these kinds of things will, um, you know, will discover new opportunities. Sometimes, especially in big companies, we might discover an opportunity that has no home because the current org structures don't support this idea that it's cross cutting or, you know, uh, it just, it's just so new and so different that, um, we don't even know what, what VP this would fall under, for instance. Um, even if there is um, a clear home for it, if we haven't, 
had a discussion up front around resources and set expectations that, you know, this work is going to result in more work. And so we're going to have to fund this opportunity that we, we, uh, we kind of uncover or refine. Um, if we don't have that conversation up front, then we can't, um, you know, dog ear funds or set stuff aside or, or even um, put things in motion that will, um, you know, mean we have budget, et cetera. So then that means that once we find the discovery, then we have to wait around for all that stuff to happen. And often if we start those processes in parallel, um, they can, they can, they can shorten that time. We might have to wait if at all. Um, and, and so ultimately, you know, there's a whole host of reasons why this can be, but uh, as, as in essence, it's the fact that these, uh, these types of um, workshops can lead to a lot of momentum and a lot of progress in a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. And often it's um, much shorter than what would happen if you did not take these approaches. So what happened, that creates a vacuum, right? Like you just, you just all of a sudden compress time. And if you didn't account, if you didn't think about the stuff that needs to come after it and pull and compress that and pull it forward as well, then that void's still going to be there. And, um, and you're going to regress to the mean, you're going to go back to your normal habits and doing the things that you, the way you've always done them. And, um, and then it's going to be harder to get that momentum back. Um, especially if people look at it from the perspective of like, well, we already invested in that design sprint and it didn't work out. Um, so it's really important to make sure that, uh, to, to harness that momentum and, and, um, and, and kind of nurture it so that, so, so that you can maintain it. Okay. So we need to dive into that part. And just to reiterate what you said, this applies to any kind of innovation effort, right? For doing an innovation retreat or some kind of idea management system where we have a bunch of ideas all of a sudden, uh, the design thinking, design sprint, same problem. If we end up with something that we want to pursue, then we can have this issue of how we find the resources, how does this fit into the, the tempo, the pace of the organization like. I love these insights that Douglas is sharing about design sprints and what to do after them. We'll get back to the discussion with him in just a minute. But to move from product manager to product master, you need to know the tools that can be used and also when they should be used. When you build a foundation of common tools, knowledge, and language among a group of product managers, you see their performance increase. And consequently, the performance of the team and the organization increase. That's why I created the RPM Experience and have been using it to help so many companies. This stands for the Rapid Product Mastery Experience. Product managers and teams use the RPM Experience to get reconnected about what matters in their work. It's easy for product managers to be pulled in too many directions and lose sight of the fundamentals that contribute to higher performance doing the right things at the right time. The RPM experience provides a foundation, getting a group of product managers or team on the same page, collaborating at a new level, and focused on who we care about, focused on the customer. It is transforming how companies approach product management, leading to higher performance and much more successful products, and that means successful careers. Find out how it works at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM. Some companies like it because it doesn't involve any travel, making it work really well with their distributed teams. More importantly, companies like it because it works, creating higher performing product managers and teams. Check it out. Now, let's get some more tips on design sprints and that slump that might happen after them. So you're going to help us with that now. What what is it we need to be doing maybe before, during, and after design sprint time to set ourselves up for a success? Yeah. Um, and I love the fact that you said before, during, and after, because 
I think the best way to avoid this, to get out of the slump is to just never get in it in the first place. And so that's some of the planning. So you make sure to, that you execute your design sprint well. Um, so you can have some of these conversations up front around, you know, expectation setting. One big one is that I see people, um, they kind of, you know, in the effort to sell the design sprint, because they're really excited about having their company do one, that they kind of set the bar too high. And then leadership thinks that you know, they're going to get even more out. They, they almost think like they're going to have a finished product after the design sprint. And so making sure that people understand that, you know, we're, we're going to make amazing progress and build lots of momentum. There's still going to be a lot of hard work afterwards and we should be prepared for that. And that includes, you know, planning for resources and budget, et cetera. Um, another very, very common issue, and we see it all the time, is picking the wrong decider. So in a design sprint, there's this concept, this is role of a decider. And there are key moments where we're going to lean on the decider to make a call or a decision. And if you pick the wrong decider, someone who is not the real decider, and that real decider emerges after the design sprint, that will throw you into a slump really fast because they're basically not going to support those ideas potentially or not fully support them. And so it's important to do that stakeholder um, mapping and understand who uh, who the who the real decider is and if uh, and if they can't be there for the entire sprint there are ways to involve them or bring them in for cameos or or maybe they're they officially anoint someone else but making it very intentional and very upfront that they're going to support whatever this other person does um, those are just a few examples but you're you're so right there's this there's this work that needs to be done beforehand just to make sure that um that at the end you're um you're really set up to, to keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, Let me ask you about the decider. The yeah. decider sounds like it's someone that can potentially become the sponsor later of things. Is that right? Yeah. And in fact, a lot of times they're already the sponsors. So like when we're doing that stakeholder mapping and just trying to understand the politics and the roles of various individuals and um, how, what's the current process, like how do things get done and, and mm-hmm. who, who sponsors things or who, who is really supportive and these kinds of things. A, a racy can be really helpful in that regard. Okay. So this is the characteristic is this is a senior leader, someone with authority to make new things happen. Mm-hmm. Probably someone who understands the network pretty well to be able to look for resources as needed. Um, other characteristics of a good decider? Yeah. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I mean, they, they need to understand the, 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 um, the team dynamics and um, have a really good um, perspective on the work that's been done in the past and where things need to go. Really, really tied in with the corporate strategy. Um, so all the things that you'd be expecting out of a good leader, um, and, you know, typical titles would be, you know, uh, it may be a product manager, you know, if they have purview over the work that, that is planned to be done in the design sprint, um, chief product officer, director of product. We even had the CEO uh, be the decider in a design sprint. Um, but typically they're kind of director VP level, I would say is, is fairly common. It really depends on the size of the company. Sure. Okay. That makes sense. And, you know, in fact, there's a really cool story in, the, in Jake's book um, about Slack and in Slack's um, case, there were two deciders, um, their, their, their head of product and, um, and the CEO hmm. and they, um, so it is possible to do two deciders, but more than that, it gets a little tricky. Um, and, uh, the, the interesting thing is that the, uh, the, the chief product officers, uh, the, the prototype, 
that uh, she selected was the one that actually tested the best with, with the customers. So if, it, if they would have just diverted to kind of highest paid person or, you know, most important person's opinion, then, uh, then that wouldn't have served them as well. So that, that's kind of cool to see yeah. it actually play out that way. It is. And that example is really good because especially for Silicon Valley companies these days, the CEO and the product officer are often the two people actually making the decisions, right? They're, mm-hmm. that's, they're the ones guiding the company. So I can see that working well together in that instance. Okay. What, what else can we do to help avoid this slump? We got some pre-planning to do. Yeah. And, you know, of course, executing the sprint really well, having a great facilitator and being really prepared there is, is super important. Um, I think the, the most immediate uh, need is to what I call wrap it up. And often, unless you knocked it out of the park, there's unanswered questions or there's new things that got raised during the interview. So you might have gained some insights, but you might be perplexed about something. Or um, in, in the case of Twyla, and our design sprint, we had um, we had found something that that uh, was very very promising, and the users even like reacted to it, like they really liked it. But it was very clear they wouldn't use it because they didn't trust it. So we we're like, hmm, that's a bit of a head scratcher. And if we would have launched that and just counted clicks, we would have said, oh, this no one wants this, right? But um, but we wouldn't have known that it was because they didn't trust it. And so then we started just playing around with language and positioning and how we tweaked it until finally we got to something that they, um, that just generally everyone's like, okay, this sounds like a great deal. I'll totally do this. Um, and that was one of those things that just boosted sales like three X the day we launched it. So mm-hmm. it was, it's incredible. It strikes me that's also part of planning, right? As you do this wrap up, you're going to have unanswered questions, mm-hmm. except if you hit it out of the park. Uh, so most of the time we have these unanswered questions to pursue and you want to jump in the, those right away, right? So uh, part of the expectation planning here is to say, hey, we're going to do this sprint and we expect what these are the people from the sprint team that need to be available for the next some period of time to continue on. That's right. And, you know, I, that kind of gets into another um uh, chapter that I have in the book, which is uh, cultivate the culture. Hmm. And so how do we imbibe the design sprint thinking or the mindset into everyday life? And so I don't think you should limit prototyping and testing to just the last two days of a design sprint. In fact, if you can build a continuous discovery model where you're constantly talking to customers and showing the prototypes and iterations of the prototype, then uh, what you do is you shorten your learning loop and as you as you mentioned earlier, it's all it's, it's it's important to learn fast. And the best way to learn fast is to shorten that learning loop so that um, you, you can make iterations. I you know Tom um, Chow um, did uh, this really cool testing with Google where they had an, a home team and a away team, and the away team was stationed out I think in front of some store where they thought the demographic uh, of the customers of that store matched the demographic of their product, and they would intercept people coming out of the store and would just show them this this, this prototype and get feedback on it. And after every three to five people, they they were sending messages back to the home team to tweak the prototype, and they would just rev it and then catch another group of people. So like in one day, they were just, you know, compounding the learnings. And um, I think that's the kind of thing that's super important to, um, to help get you um, to make sure you're not stuck in the slump. And so mm-hmm. it's, um, but to your point, you know, that has to be well, and those expectations do have to be set up front that, um, that we need to change. We need to start thinking about changing the way we, we think about testing the software and prototyping 
and how we get to a level of confidence around actually building something. Yeah, that's a great example. It's not one I was aware of that the home and away team, uh, I've seen other tests done with customers where they're rapidly prototyping in the customer environment, uh, but really good way to learn quickly. Absolutely. Okay? So it needs to be part of the culture. That, and that's kind of says that there's this built in expectation that we prototype, we refine, we prototype, we learn, and we keep doing that. Um, how else can we set ourselves up to avoid the slump? Well, one of my favorites is about storytelling and you know, I love to talk about this. Like, um, I all ask people like, what's the worst thing you've heard, um, after a workshop or a design sprint and people always go to some, like, you know, some disaster story. And then after they tell that story, I'll say, Oh man, that's really, really bad. And then they'll say, well, what was was yours? And I'll say, well, one time I talked to a CEO and, um, they had hired me to do a design sprint, but they weren't in in the design sprint. So after I, afterwards I checked in with them to see how it went. And, uh, and they said, yeah, I talked to the team. They said they had a lot of fun. And, um, you know, my heart sinks whenever I hear something like that because fun is not a business outcome. Um, but that's exactly what someone's going to say if they haven't rehearsed a narrative, they haven't gotten aligned on what happened and what they're going to, and gotten clear on next steps. And, um, and if also, even if they know it, um, if they get stopped in the hallway and, you know, they're bouncing from one meeting to the next, they're going to go immediately to emotional space. They're going to draw from whatever is like right there and, and, and handy and ready. And guess what? The, the, uh, the feelings, the, um, the physicality of a design sprint is very fun and engaging. And so that's what's going to come. That's what, if you just blurt something out, that's what's going to get blurted out. So in the narrative building work is about um, making sure everyone's hyper aligned on what happened and what that means for us and what we're going to do next. And so it's really nice when everyone's in the same meeting and it sounds like it, because if we don't talk about what happened, then we're all going to walk out with slightly different perspectives. We might use slightly different nuanced language. We might've interpreted things slightly differently. And if we're hearing different things from different people, that does not build resilience. It's not robust. Um, The other thing too, is if we've rehearsed it and we know what we're going to say, then like, uh, then when you get stopped by the CEO, boom, you got it. It's just going to naturally flow out. It's like having, it's like a startup having their, um, their elevator pitch down. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So you, do you do this Friday afternoon then before the design sprint breaks up and kind of do a, a review of this is what we accomplished this week. And this is what needs to happen next. Yeah. And we even take it a step further and, um, and build a recap deck that um, mm-hmm. is basically like um, a photo album with annotations. And, uh, and we include uh, insights and potential next steps and, um, and even a, what we heard, which uh, are the most poignant quotes from the interviews. So now you have this like executive summary dossier that, it, that people can pass around the organization. And um you know, people are pretty zonked at the end of listening in the five interviews, but we do, uh, we do have that conversation to make sure that we're tapping into what people are generally saying. We'd love also to, um, to point out the stuff that people aren't mentioning. Um, and we'll really highlight that in the deck. Like what are the things the team doesn't want to admit right now? <laughs> Cause it's a little sore or whatever. Um, but maybe it's really important that they pay attention to. Um, and I, I would say the following Monday is always a good time to schedule in a, a, a debrief because, um, if we, if you're debriefing at the end of the day, you know, there's some recency bias towards the last interview, you're really tired, et cetera. So we'll provide the recap deck and generally, you know, take time early the following week to, to make sure we, we revisit it. And, you know, that's something that we're typically planning up front. 
as well as, um, you know, to your point, making sure folks understand there might need to be some iterations on, on the prototype. It's quite often necessary. Mm-hmm. Um, so just setting all those expectations is really important. Okay, so in that flow, Friday we're going through prototypes, getting feedback from users uh, through a validation test, and are, you're building the debrief to – sorry, you're building your deck to use for the debrief on Monday. Mm-hmm. Are you trying to have a, that deck ready by the end of Friday? Yeah, you know, as consultants, like it's um, it's easy for us because we're stuck at the airport on a Friday. <laughs> like it's better just to crank it out then than to uh, to wait till next week, especially if we might be on a road again. Yeah, well, that's um, fresh. So yeah, it's kind of hard. You know, I would imagine it'd be kind of hard for for a team that's trying to get home um, mm-hmm. and whatnot. But uh, you know, Monday would be quite fine too. We, the point is, we don't want it to just sit around so that you know it's. Uh, it's getting loose in our minds and whatnot. Yeah, the challenge is Monday rolls around and you're back into the next thing all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. and you know, uh, I, I always talk about like the urgent get um, just kills the important, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, all those urgent things start popping up on Monday. And it's, That's uh, right, because yeah. you kind of just spent a week in some people's minds playing away from work, right? And now it's like we're back at the real thing again. So you have to build this into the expectation too, part of the culture, right? That mm-hmm. you know, as part of the sprint, we're going to come back Monday, have a debrief, and make sure we have some tangible next steps to work on. Um, and I'm sure you find this uh, very useful. Um, there, there, I, I know this stands out in my mind only because there's been a few times where I forgot to take pictures of critical information, and it's gone, right, the, the mm. next hour or the next day because we've shuffled the Post-it notes around and other things happen, right? Yeah. So you're probably somehow recording key artifacts all the way through to be part of your deck. Yeah, you know, there's um, a mantra from the Google Ventures guys, and uh, always be capturing. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that's really critical. And it's not only photos of what's happening, but also capture it on the whiteboard because if you're writing what people are saying, um, you're, you're starting to map out and visualize what's happening in the room. And yeah. then, um, and, and you know, that's one of my favorite forms of synthesis. If I'm trying to help a team get to some um, deeper level of alignment, I'll just get the team talking, but I'm, I'm over there just scribbling down every, every new word or every new kind of idea that I hear because everyone's got different language about um, how they talk about this topic or this problem or, or this um, opportunity. And then, and then I'm starting to, uh, then once conversation starts to die down, I'll draw it back into like one of these other words. And I was like, let's talk about this a little bit more. Cause you know, Susan said, you know, icebreaker, well, what does that mean? And then Bob said, you know, like, ice pick or well, okay well that's quite different like <laughs> like how do they how are these the same how are they different and then the, the, you know the team starts to really get to a high level of specificity but they wouldn't have if we would have just let those words evaporate and mm-hmm. um and not come back to them and so um so we can really find out where there's disagreement where there's high level of alignment where there's some fuzziness that we need to color in so always be capturing is both um, taking photos of the assets so we don't lose them, as you mentioned, but also capture what's happening in the moment so we can come back to it even like a few moments later. Yep, good advice. Okay, uh, anything else for us in terms of avoiding the slump to help, you know, take what happened back into the organization and take action on it? You know, um, I think that, um, the, you know, it got six steps, but the, the my favorites are definitely building the culture, wrapping up and sharing the story. Maybe the other one that I'll mention that's 
pretty critical is this idea that um, we'll need to expand the inner circle. So a design sprint's about seven people. Um, and often we'll learn, maybe we didn't realize that this was going to involve machine learning. And so we got in there and started playing with it. And now we realize, oh, wow, this is going to have some machine learning components. Well, now we should definitely bring in our data scientist or our machine learning like algorithm specialist um, to start talking through the implications of this and you know what's what kinds of data might we need to gather gather and you know how we might go about doing that mm-hmm. um and so the me- mechanics and logistics can start to shift um or our needs around those things can shift after we kind of build a prototype and iterate and see where it's going so always be thinking about like what new stakeholders we might need to consider and who we bring into the equation mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. You're going to have a good idea with the prototypes of what resources are needed and Mm -hmm. just expanding that story through the organization is going to help you too. Okay, good insights about how to avoid after this innovation activity, uh, just the momentum stopping, uh, whatever that innovation activity is. So really appreciate that. We'll avoid the slump and we'll make good use of our uh, innovation work. Uh, listeners know that I love innovation quotes as we're talking about innovation here. What, what did you bring for us and what does that one mean to you? Yeah. Um, so I love, so I'm a huge Peter Drucker fan and um, this isn't the only quote of his that I love, but uh, you know, this being about innovation and about new ideas and um, trying new things. Um, and the quote goes, if you want something new, you have to stop doing something old. Okay, and tell us how, how that hits you. So, well, for one thing, I, I'm a huge fan of liberating structures. It's, um, it's a methodology that we, we teach and that we use in a lot of our workshops. And one of the methods in the repertoire is called TRIZ. And TRIZ is about creative destruction. So how can we um, identify the counterproductive things or the, or the things that have outlived their purpose um, or are no longer necessary. And uh, once we identify them, then let's, uh, let's exercise some creative destruction and, uh, and eliminate those things. So how can we come up with things to say no to, to remove from our calendars? All those urgent things that you talked about coming back to Monday, there's probably quite a few of them that um, are really unnecessary and aren't serving us. You know, what are these TPS reports or whatever that are, uh, are really just consuming our time? And, and when you create space, innovation rushes in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we need the opportunity to kind of have slack time, right? Not, not mm-hmm. the communication tool, but time yeah. to think differently. In fact, um, there's a great book called Slack. There is went... a great book called Slack, yep, yeah. uh, that addresses that. And uh, Triz is this interesting framework uh, out of Russia, right? That is kind of a way of looking. Is it the same tool you're talking about? Because as It is not, it, but it shares similar like It, it shares, shares some of the similar language origin. from what you shared. That's right. That's a funny thing about liberating structures. It's they remix quite a few things. Um, uh, they've got appreciative inquiry. That's not exactly their appreciative inquiry, folks, but it comes from a sim- similar lineage. So, um, so that does lead to a little bit of confusion. But um, Triz is really great. Essentially, um, it's a three-part um, activity. The first thing we do is we ask. Uh, we'll say, um, let's just take your podcast for example. So I might say, Chad, uh, I'd like you to write down. Um, we want to make sure that um, that your podcast is super successful. And so in order to do that, we need to think about all the things that we want to eliminate to make sure that we get those bad things out of the way so that we can make way for the good stuff. So first I'm going to ask you to, um, to make that, make a list 
of all the things that you could do to make sure that the podcast comes out as bad as possible. Hmm. Okay. Uh And then once you have that list, and usually that results in a little bit of humor, and that's really great because when you tap into that absurd um, humor and creativity, that curiosity, then we, that's, when, that's the real power of this activity because it's inverted thinking. Mm-hmm. It allows us to do some lateral thinking because we've kinda, we're kind of asking people to like sabotage, right? Yep. Then, then we, the second phase, we say, okay, on this list of crazy things that we could do to make sure your podcast is as bad as possible – um, what are you doing today that resembles anything on this list? Huh. And it doesn't, we're saying, we're not saying like you're doing these crazy things, but what's similar, you know, or what's even just like a thread of like what that, what that's kind of indicating. And then the third step is we're going to say, okay, out of these things that resemble these like sabotage, what things are we going to agree to stop doing? Okay. It's a good lateral thinking tool, right? Because yeah. you, you start with the, what are all the things that you're doing bad now that you're not really doing, but right, that would make it bad. Um, and that, yeah. that opens space to think differently. And it's safe, right? If we just said, what are we doing that's bad? Our little protective like ego is going to prevent us from um, you know, coming up with it and seeing those things. But, right. but when we invert it, then, then it, we can start talking about some of those sacred cows, that, you know, that TPS report that everyone loves, um, wait, okay, we are doing something that kind of looks like it might not be productive. Right. Yes. Lo- love the TPS report. If no one, <laughs> if you haven't come across office space, you got to check it out. Find, Absolutely. Find it's filmed here in Austin even. Well, oh, it's just brilliant. So, yeah. okay. Um, back to a great quote, by the way, appreciate you sharing that with us and the little tip there on Triz, this lateral thinking tool yeah. for people that want to get their hands on your book beyond the prototype and also find out about the work you do. Uh, how can we do that? Um, beyond the prototype.com is a great place to, to read a little more. And, um, and, uh, there's a link to Amazon there, or of course you can find it on Amazon. There's, um, it's, um, we also have, uh, um, a digital version on Kindle as well as Audible. And um, I just wanted to say that, you know, Vulture Control is on a mission in, in 2020 to, to help transform the way people meet and just thinking about how to help people work better together. And, um, you know, we've been developing um, these meeting mantras where we're, we're currently um, working on a research report and all of this stuff will be um, coming out on our blog. It's, we've already started releasing some of this content. So if you're interested in how to help have better meetings, how to, um, how to, uh, you know, make quicker decisions, um, you may not be in a spot where design sprint is the right thing to do, but uh, maybe some of these concepts and some of these adjacent um, tools could be helpful. Um, and so we're, we're writing lots about that, about these things on our blog um, you can also check out our events page for our public workshops or reach out to us about a private one. We, we often come in and help companies and customize stuff, you know, based on your specific domain and problem. Awesome. Those are good resources. Uh, I'll look forward to seeing some of those blog posts too, because we all want to make better use of our time and have better interaction with our groups and teams. Absolutely, uh, That's very important. So I, I think community is becoming a more important aspect just of our work and our lives. So I want to tap into that. Okay. Douglas, thank you so much for your time, for the insights. Glad to know a little bit more about design sprints and, and particularly how to avoid the slump. My pleasure. Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers do what? They make their move to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence, two things that we need so that we can create products that customers love. 
Find a summary of all the key points that we talked about with Douglas at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 269, including his answer to the question, what are your tips for planning and making a design sprint as valuable as it can be? As always, keep innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator, which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit theeverydayinnovator.com.